This podcast is powered by The Plug. Hey there, podcast listening people. Connor Doobie here. Very much appreciate you tuning in to the show. We are Mile High Mentors, and we're here to bring you information, strategies, resources, and stories from the local mentors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and subject matter experts. Wherever you're listening to this, make sure you subscribe for future episodes. We are on all of your favorite podcast platforms, all of your favorite podcast apps, and please leave a five-star review so others can find the show too. As always, we have an incredible show for you here today. We're going to roll right in, but make sure you go and visit all of the links in our descriptions. Make sure you visit the links on our social media sites, wherever you find us at Mile High Mentors to learn how to get connected up with mentors, resources, the services that we provide for the community, the nonprofits we're involved with, and to learn more about how you can support the podcast and support Mile High Mentors. We are by the community for the community, with the community. You can also email us, milehighmentors at gmail.com. Again, milehighmentors at gmail.com. If you have guests you recommend, you might be interested in being interviewed on the show, or you want to collaborate, sponsor, partner up in one way or another. Those are things we are always open to, milehighmentors at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer. Without further ado, my friends, we are going to go ahead and dive right in. Definitely. Well, hey, I really, really appreciate you making the time and, and joining, and, and I'm really excited to do this. I've been fascinated to learn more about um, the World Trade Center Denver. I know a lot of people are in our audience as well, and I think probably a good, great way to get started is uh, give us a background, quick background as to what led you to where you're at in your career today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having having me on the show today. I appreciate it. Um, so I started out um, in international business as a topic of interest in college. And it wasn't just because my parents um, inspired that or we traveled a lot when I was a kid. It had nothing to do with that. I was involved with this international business student organization called ISEC. And that organization was all about bringing foreign students to Boulder and Denver, uh, working in companies for a temporary stint up to a year and a half. And then we also got to send Colorado students abroad to about 100 countries. So I was so fascinated by this program because I would meet 20 to 30 international students every year and they'd become really good friends of mine. And and it's because of this cross-cultural exchange and getting to know just different ways of thought and um, really the true sense of diversity 
uh, of having people from all over the world come together and, and, and create a community. This was uh, something that I was really inspired by. So I decided to study international business. And of course, um, I even took a semester off and went to travel around Europe for three months when I was about 17 to stay with all my new friends from ISEC. So it was, uh, it was a fantastic experience. Um, and it's what kicked off my career. Uh, I give 100% uh, of my um, interest in international business to ISEC. Um, just following college in uh, CU Boulder, I went on an ISEC traineeship and I uh, was running a very large 900 person sawmill in Ghana, West Africa. And that was my first job out of college. And it was um, certainly eye-opening and I never looked back. I always wanted to do something with international, always wanted to have you know, conversations every day with people with different accents and different ways of thought. And it's just really what makes me tick. Yeah, and it's interesting being in Colorado because um, you're fr you're from Colorado originally. I pretty much grew up in in Colorado since the yeah. age of nine. Uh, grew up in Boulder, and then have lived in Denver since I got back from Africa in '92. Yeah, it really helps having that experience, that international experience, getting Absolutely. to dive into cultures. It's something that. Mm -hmm everyone as a citizen should be like required to do, I believe at some point. You know, it makes you a better person. Um, it absolutely opens your mind, opens your heart, makes you actually, it makes us better people overall. When we trade ideas, trade goods, trade services, we're making ourselves better because we find things that people can do better than us every time we do that. And so it's actually the, the best form of innovation, if you ask me. Uh, if you can compete on the global stage, then in fact, you are an innovative company. I think if you're just selling domestically, you might question that if you start looking at some of your competitors globally. Yeah. How, how do you think globalization is going to adapt or change with everything going on in the world recently? Well, certainly it has um, changed, but I actually think it's even more important than ever um, because you know, with supply chains tightening up and um, demand going crazy high, especially on household items because we're all staying home now and um, we need to make sure we have diversity of supply chain, not just domestic supply chain. We need to make sure that we can access goods from anywhere in the world. And if there is something that's like maybe a port is held up or you know, the COVID crisis comes back in a high way and in, 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 in a different country, we need to make sure we can be resilient and change our supply chain pretty um, smoothly. So I think global trade is more important than ever. It's definitely, it's definitely the thing that's going to cure COVID. I like to say that uh, the, the cure for COVID is going to come about somewhere in the world. We really don't care where, right? We could care less if it came out in China or in Nigeria. It, if, if the cure is found, that solution will be shared quicker than the pandemic itself. And that is a form of trade as well. And so that's uh, really exciting for, um, for us to um, just see. I can't wait for that to come about and then see how innovation and, and trade of ideas comes, comes through following that. So, yeah. What, so what are some of the limiting factors to 
do I mean we have all the tech in the world I we're still very behind on travel I mean you've traveled around Europe you can jump from one country to another for 20 bucks 30 bucks 50 bucks here it's like five hundred dollars a thousand dollars just to fly across the country um not to point to that being the reason, but what are the limiting factors to us being more of a global economy rather than at this point in time, especially we're U.S. economy, we're China economy, yeah. we're, you know, a, a European economy. That's right. I will say that travel and, and the aviation industry and especially our airport, Denver International Airport, has been hit so hard, harder than any other industry, I'd say. You know, we had a 90% dip in travel and very few international flights are even coming into Denver. I think there's one right now. When That's Denver had, numbers is 90%? Yes, it's crazy. Yeah. So we also had, um, we only have one international flight coming into the airport, which is absolutely crazy. So, so certainly air cargo is not coming in the way it used to, uh, unless you have couriers like FedEx or UPS uh, running those. But the air cargo is very much hindered because the direct international flights are not coming in. Uh, so that's hurting trade. Um, it's certainly hurting business opportunity because you can't even travel to go to trade shows or to conferences or to meet your distributor or suppliers. Um, all of that has been curbed. So, but we're also coming up with ways to innovate through this and make sure that we utilize tools like this to be able to conduct global business and in some senses, it's making us more connected than ever. Um, you know, we have 320 World Trade Centers uh, around the world in 100 countries. Which I didn't um, know, by the way, when yeah, you most said people, that the other most day. Most people don't. Most totally people don't, blew my mind. I was like, really? It's, it's the largest trade association in the world, and, and we're so well connected. And to be honest, anytime we're offering programming, um, now World Trade Centers in Europe can participate because it's all online and it's all accessible. And so we just launched this uh, week-long, uh, sorry, month-long series. Every week we offered trade content during the month of May. And we had World Trade Centers from 20 different, 20 different countries coming and participating in it. So that was a really great experience. It's wild. What, what, so let's talk about that too. I mean, I, I didn't even really know so much. What does the World Trade Center generally do as an organization and what is the Denver focus for the World Trade uh, Center? Yeah, so the World Trade Centers Association is headquartered in New York and basically they license World Trade Centers throughout the world. There can only be one World Trade Center per city and Denver's World Trade Center has been actively operating for 32 years uh, uh, in helping companies conduct global business. So everything from helping with exports, with imports, with managing global operations, with setting up partnerships across borders, um, arranging for shipments to come or go, um, understanding trade compliance laws, which there are many. Uh, so we're really a kind of a technical expert on trade, helping companies throughout this region uh, thrive on the global stage. And so, we mainly work with Colorado companies, but we've also worked with Wyoming, New Mexico, Nebraska uh, firms when they need support as well, because there's no other World Trade Centers in those states. The closest mm -hmm. World Trade Centers are in Salt Lake City and Kansas City. 
So um, we essentially in Denver have focused on training mostly. Um, that's really been our main um, service for the 32 years that we've been here, but we also consult and helping companies uh, mitigate their risks abroad, uh, manage their challenges, help identify opportunities, um, connect them with our counterparts across the world through World Trade Centers, um, and really just helping to do some in-house training, maybe customized for their needs. So we've worked with companies as small as the entrepreneur just, just trying to figure this out, all the way up to the large multinationals like Leprino Foods and Miller Coors. So um, we've got a good array of about 300 plus member companies in, in Colorado. And um, we also uh, have a community of several thousand that convene on a regular basis, except during COVID and that's when we're convening online, so. Yeah, are there many organizations like World Trade Center in Colorado, or are you guys pretty much kind of the sole resource for that? Yeah, so there are government resources. We're, we're non-governmental. We are a private trade association. There's a couple of government resources. Um, the state of Colorado Office of Economic Development offers some support and grants to um, help with international trade, and we work closely with them. And then there's the U.S. Export Assistance Center, which is part of the Department of Commerce. And they too help companies um, kind of understand the regulations and uh, support them in a counseling basis. So we work very closely with those organizations. Um, at one point we were all co-located in one building and one suite um, downtown. So that's how closely we are. We work together. Now we're in separate, separate offices, but hopefully when we build our new building, which should be opening at the end of 2021, um, maybe we can be back together again. Yeah, that'll be really cool to see. It sounds like it's going to be, how, how big is that building going to be over there? Well, it's about 300,000 square feet. So it's a, yeah. it's a huge, you know, 14 story tower with a business social club on top and lots of convening space. And then there'll be a hotel and a conference center. Um, we also have some outdoor space. So I really, uh, I think Denver, it, it's an exciting thing for Denver because it's um, a time where we can actually say this is our global welcome center in Denver. This is where global business happens. This is where you plug in to connect globally. Um, this is where we welcome international investment uh, and find matches for them here locally. So it's all about fostering global connections and helping our base of companies thrive again on the global stage. How, how would you plan on bringing in more economic investment? Because in meeting with a number of the VCs here um, and uh, you know angel investors in Colorado, most of them have expressed that is a limiting factor is Colorado entrepreneurs, whether they're immigrants or they're natives, there's no lack of innovation capital here. It seems to be much more of a financial lack of resources. So how do you plan on doing that? And how do you make Colorado more attractive and Denver more attractive to bring more financial resources? Yeah, so first and foremost, we are trying to help create more companies that trade. And because of that, you know, trading is, is complicated and it's, um, it's nuanced and there's a lot to learn. Uh, and it's, it's riskier than domestic business, right? But the reward is high as well. Um, so first and foremost, we have to build our base of companies that trade here. And that's what we're concentrating on. 
uh, we're actually launching a something that we're calling a global trade activator. It's a and it's it's our version of an accelerator, trying to help companies go from domestic business to an international business in a matter of four months. This is a tight. This is a small amount of time to understand all the nuances, find new opportunities, get new market strategies, understand the regs, um, make sure you've got your product specified and, and matching the, the specs that are needed in that market. Lots of different changes that could take place in, the, in those four months. So because of that, we want to create the volume um, of companies that could be possible um, investment uh, places for for investors. So international investors are looking for a thriving global business community and they're also looking for um, is Denver a global commerce hub? And so everything that we're doing is really driving towards making Denver that commerce hub that attracts foreign investment. We're also doing some incubators to help foreign owned entrepreneurs who are looking to move to Denver uh, we're helping them get settled here and to make Denver a home office, especially their first entry point into the U.S. We're working with the City of Denver Economic Development Office on that, and um, we call that the, the Global Launchpad. And so helping be that sort of um, hands-on support for companies moving here along with the government agencies um, is, is another area that we, we are doing that. But I want to create in our Global Trade Activator an opportunity for companies that we're supporting to seek capital uh, and to also seek talent. We can help them find the talent because we've trained 30,000 people in trade over the 32 years that we've been here. So the talent in pool- In Colorado? Yeah, alone? in Colorado. So, wow. that, so that's, you know, the talent pool exists and we can help companies find good talent. The capital is a little trickier because the venture capitalists here tend to stick with one industry and they're very early stage, right? But the companies that we're working with don't necessarily have to be early stage. They might be mid-stage companies. They just have never approached an international market. And so the venture capitalists may or may not be, you know, appealing for those companies. We might need to come up with other types of capital uh, or loans or other types of um, just just money to help them get off the starting line. And that's, that's a lot of what we're work, working on now to make this a successful uh, accelerator. What are, what are some of the most successful, I guess, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think like in terms of product that's come through, that's either um, ran through uh, Trade Center Denver. You know, I'm, I'm curious to understand what that might be. Is it a, is it a food product? Like, what do you see could be really the biggest um, yeah. commerce out of here? Well, that's a great question. And, um, you know, most people are pretty surprised to, to, to hear that medical devices is one of Colorado's top exports. Um, of course, we're good in beef. I mean, we're great in agriculture. Um, we're exporting we have, a lot of agriculture. We're exporting a lot of beef and a lot of Globally? agriculture all over the Outside, world. Really? Way, yeah, all over the world. Um, really? Huh. And that beef is our number one export. Wow. I, yeah. didn't even, I didn't even know that. And so the Department of Agriculture typically um, works with our ranchers to help them go abroad. We have a couple of ranchers in our mix, but mostly we're working with the manufactured goods and services. So, um, but some of those other techie manufactured goods like medical devices, electronics, measuring instrumentation, 
data processing units, um, those type of um, computer storage units, those, those, if you think high-tech niche manufactured goods, this is where Colorado really excels because I, my hunch is because we have 54 national labs here, our R&D capacity is very strong. And so spinning out of those uh, laboratories and uh, out of our universities, you know, being the second highest educated population in the, in the nation, we're going to have more tech, tech savvy and um, more advanced industries that are taking part, aerospace, satellites, all of that. So those are, those are some of Colorado's top exports. And we, of course, work with a lot of those markets. Um, I'll give you an example, maybe a small med device company that just created a product and they're waiting for FDA approval, which is one of the most stringent um, regulatory hurdles to get through. Well, some other markets might be open for their product before FDA approval. And so while they're waiting for US FDA approval, maybe they can export to other markets um, and we can help them do that. So. Interesting. What example. country is the top recipient of Colorado B4 tech products? Guess. Mexico? Second. Oh, Canada. You're right. Ooh. Okay. So people say, why does USMCA, why does USMCA <laughs> matter to you? Why should NAFTA matter to you? Yeah. It's because Canada and Mexico by far by far tenfold are our top you know trading partners china is right up there too um being uh, either second or third with mexico it kind of flip-flops but um but canada oh my gosh we trade oh we trade over a billion dollars a day uh between canada mexico and us it's it's a huge huge trading block we get most of our energy resources, our fuel from Canada. Wow. And it's incredible. In Colorado? Most yeah. of our- In the US, uh, but oh, okay. in Colorado as well. So we're importing and then we're exporting end user product. We do, we make things together. We, yeah. our supply chains are so integrated that um, I'll give you an example. This is my favorite example, a hamburger. We call it the American hamburger, right? Yeah. Well, in fact, it should be called the North American hamburger because the tomatoes don't come from here. You know, we, we've got lettuce coming from place, avocado coming from another. Um, even your beef might go across our borders nine times before it actually ends up on your plate. Hmm. So that, it may sound funny, but in fact, we specialize in what we do best. That's the beauty of trade. This is why it's a win-win, not a win-lose scenario. We're is all that, specializing that, in what we do best. Yeah. Is that good though? Like uh, with advances in technology, mm -hmm. is, eventually if we can develop avocado farms in Colorado and yep. grow the lettuce with terraforming different parts of the state and stuff, it, it, would that actually benefit the, the state better and the economy better? And like those who are struggling and maybe getting even short, shorted in the, in, in the international trades? You know, it, it could be better, but we have to look at our opportunity costs and say, is yeah. it better for us to be producing avocados or high-end medical devices? Like we really need to ask ourselves, where can we specialize at the labor rate that's gonna make sense? And where, where do Coloradans um, 
specialties come about. They're, we're strong in technology, software, design, um, you know, packaging, uh, maybe organic foods. Um, so we just need to, we need to say, can we produce something better and cheaper than our neighbors in Mexico or in China? And, and to be honest, it's the operational cost that companies are looking at. They're not just looking at tariffs. They're not saying, oh, there's a new tariff on this, so I better move my operation out of China and now go to Vietnam. I mean, I've only heard of a few that have really done that um, because they're looking at the full operational cost, labor, uh, cost of doing business, the rule of law. They're looking at, you know, what does it cost to have a, a, a manufacturing plant? Um, in that in that country, so um, it's a much bigger decision than tariffs, um, which are the taxes that that are coming about due to President Trump's administration. Right, um, he's tariffing more. He's tariffing China more for goods coming to the states. Yeah, so that's a really. I'm glad you asked this because when the president here puts on a tariff from Chinese goods, yes. Who do you think pays those tariffs? The and the consumers. Well, they do in this country. And but mostly it's the manufacturer or whoever's importing that good mm -hmm. is paying the tariff and then they're passing the increased cost, the cost over. onto the consumer. So Yeah. And again, um, it goes to the argument of should should we be building some of it? that we are outsourcing like shoes, for example, you know, we're bringing in a bunch of shoes. Should we make those from locally? So it's very well, back and this, forth. The, yeah. the tariff might only be 10 bucks. Right. But to produce that shoe, you might be saving $50 mm -hmm. by doing it over there versus doing it here. And so you really need to look at, the overall operational costs and not just the tariff. Right. Because the tariff could go away. Um, the tariff can change. This is what's been so problematic of late is that companies can't plan for being competitive. They're putting prices out there, yet tariffs are changing on a regular mm. basis. The, the trade war is on today, it's off tomorrow. It's really hard to plan in that sort of uncertainty. And so, so companies need to plan pricing, distribution, uh, retail. I mean, all of that, they need to plan that. And uh, supply chains, it's just really difficult to change on a whim like that. So um, mm. that's something I think that's been most, most concerning about the trade war. So, so Colorado specifically, NAFTA is the, the beneficial trade agreement that's, in, that's benefiting Colorado trade and, and commerce. Well, it, is is are there um, fluctuating tariffs on that as well? I haven't. I'm not. Well, I'm not. Yeah. I'm I'm ignorant yeah. on this stuff, so no, I'm genuinely you're, just. You're actually asking all great great questions. Um, yeah. So there there have been some fluctuating tariffs, and this new agreement, which is called USMCA, they're mm -hmm. renaming NAFTA, is going to kick in July first, just oh. in a few days. So, so Trump's um, getting rid of. He got rid of NAFTA. Well, they're renaming oh, it, and renaming they've it. they've made it. They've modernized several portions of it. So um, some of the tariffs will be going down gradually. We still have some provisions to, to in, induce tariffs um, if necessary. 
But for the most part, a free trade agreement, the purpose of free trade agreements are to eliminate tariffs over time and to ease out the standards and regulatory um, uh, background and, and frameworks so that uh, it's just easier to do business. So maybe remove some of the red tape and, and certain forms that you need. Because what you want to do is create open access and open, more open trade. Mm -hmm. um, and so with USMCA, he's, he has opened up some areas. Uh, we can now sell more dairy into Canada, for instance. Um, we have more rights around intellectual property and, um, and other things. So the, the automobile industry is probably hit um, the hardest, 75% uh, of your automobile now must come from the North American continent to be able to take advantage of NAFTA. And that wasn't the case before. Got it. So. And so the new updated version is actually a somewhat of an improvement from, from where it, it is. was. It, it is somewhat of an improvement, but I gotta say, the, the biggest concern I have is that in this new round, every 16 years there's a provision that sunsets and the last thing we would want is that the, the NAFTA or the USMCA would go away. Because, yeah. I mean, Mexico and Canada are by far our strongest trading partners and it's because of NAFTA. So we have to um, protect us as a continent and think of us as a unit because we are so integrated now and so enmeshed in, in how we build products that um, it would be really hard to unwind that and we should never even consider it. So I wish that sunset clause wasn't in there. Yeah. Do you, are you op optimistic about it? If we're looking 10, 15, 20 years down the road, do you, do you foresee more and more moving into the direction of where it should be for the benefit of everybody, the I entire do. continent? I, I'm very optimistic. I, I think um, free trade agreements are we should create more of them and the more we can do multinational ones. So having multiple countries in, in one is, um, gives us more leverage um, as, a, as a country. You know, the US only has 20 free trade agreements with countries. Um, other countries like Chile and Mexico have 45. So they're far, far surpass us in terms of opening up their borders and freely trading with other markets. One thing I can tell you, though, even with just 20 markets that have free trade agreements, about half of our exports go to those 20 markets. So that tells you how important they are. The more we can grow those, the more we can, you know, really try to um, There's enhance. big industry opportunity there that totally. people are taking advantage opportunity. of. Totally. I mean, we have one with Korea, and I remember they were ninth or tenth of our trading partner. After the agreement, they went up to like fourth and fifth. So it was just, it just, it boosts all, it boosts both sides. It's, um, it's always a positive in my view. Yeah. Isn't there, so a couple things, what's the argument against a free trade agreement versus like, would we have a better relationship with China with more of a free trade agreement versus the way it's set up now? Or I guess, what is the argument against it? So I... Absolutely. If we can, if we can ever get to the point where we're, where we're, you know, have a free trade agreement with China, that is the ultimate. We're the two largest economies in the world. 
Can you imagine the opportunities that would come about if all tariffs were removed and it was very easy to do business between both markets? Just think about how we both would win, right? Um, would, would one win more than the other? Perhaps. But that doesn't mean it's not a good idea to go into it, right? Mm -hmm. And so some of the arguments are um, that maybe we're winning less than others. So Mexico might have gained more than the U.S. in the NAFTA agreement. Um, they've certainly uh, were able to bring a lot of the production and manufacturing to, to Mexico because of their labor rates being cheaper. So you, you heard back in the early 90s when this was being talked about that, you know, there, even Ross Perot said there'd be a giant sucking sound of jobs going down to Mexico. Well, in fact, jobs raised throughout the whole continent. Yes, jobs raised more in Mexico, but they also raised in the U.S., they raised in Canada. So um, I think you just have to look at the overall win um, and not get too hung up on um, the trade balance of who's winning more. Um, because to be honest, what trade agreements do is just raise all tides. And, and I think that's um, another, another area of concern that people might have are, you know, just standards um, or environmental uh, issues come about due to trade. I honestly think that a free trade agreement can actually put in there some standards, some raising, raising of the standards of both labor treatment and environment. Um, and it's an incentive uh, for, for everyone to do better in those areas. So if they're written right, uh, you can actually address some of those, um, some of those concerns as well. So, um, you know, not everybody sees it this way. I totally understand that, but I'm always been about free trade and always been about, you know, more trade is better. Um, I love choice. I love being able to afford things. I like to be able to have a variety of, of food and clothing. And as a consumer, trade benefits us more than ever. Um, yeah. Because without it, we'd, ha we'd be very limited and prices would be out, out of control. Right. Well, and I think some of the concern, think of a small country in Africa that is, or a, a small um, town in Africa that's like creating a very specialty product that's cheap, but, but it's um, maybe causing some sort of vacuum there. Uh, and, and maybe that's a concern too. How, how do we mitigate that? How do we mitigate that in, in, um, in uh, Mexico and in, in people not getting mistreated or the environment not getting mistreated because there is no financial taxation on doing commerce? How, how do you think we mitigate that stuff? Yeah, well, I can give you a firsthand experience in, in Africa, um, having l lived in Ghana, um, you know, they, they were able to, they made really great coffee and chocolate there, yeah. uh, co cocoa beans. And um, they exported almost all of the product back then because they got 10 times on the dollar that they would have sold, got if they sold domestically. Um, so the coffee I drank when I lived there was imported Nescafe. It was terrible, <laughs> right? But they have beautiful coffee there. So, um, but if you're going to get 10 times on the dollar uh, by your export market, and it's going to bring in money, new money into your country, into your economy, and your, your country's in poverty, there is nothing better than trade to get you more money. Aid cannot fix that. Trade can. So if you do have a specialty, and you sell it on the global market, you can earn a bigger, you know, more revenue, you can earn more uh, market share, more customers. Um, I think 
countries most likely will. Um, so in terms of the environmental part of your question, again, I, I go back to those agreements. Um, you might have heard of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. That was something that, that uh, President Obama negotiated and then President Trump pulled out of it, I think day one of his presidency. But in fact, that was with 12 countries uh, across Asia, including Canada and Mexico and us. And um, there were environmental standards in there. There were labor standards in there raising the bar for countries like Vietnam and Malaysia and others that were uh, increased standards um, across the block, across that 12 country block. So I think the more countries you have in a trading block, the more leverage you have to actually change behavior. Um, because those countries wanted to trade with countries like, like, the, like the US, Japan and others that were in it. And so they're willing to change behavior. You have to incentivize changing behavior. You can't tax it. It's not, it's not taxable. It's not something that you can fix with a tax. But if you incentivize an just opportunity- Look at US-based companies. They just dump, like, they'll, like oh, we're going to pay a fine on it, but we're still going totally. to dump whatever garbage tax, is, tax we all know is not an incentive-based uh, yeah, program. It's just, it's just something you react to. It's a, it's a nuisance, um, but it's not a game changer. And I think, I think that's why I love looking at more opportunity, more potential, um, more market share, that sort of thing. So yeah. So so versus just dumping money, aid money into a country like mm -hmm. Ghana, for example, and just here's a hundred million dollars for the year. You know, take care of yourselves. Um, actually, bringing more entrepreneurial resources and um, business training resources. Uh, you you would you would prefer that over just like aid. Yeah, well, and teach them how to trade. It's like that analogy of teach them how to fish, you know, and yeah. they can feed a whole community. Teach them how to trade and they can save their country. Like that, that's, that's what I believe. I feel like trade is, is such, a, such a wonderful um, asset to um, mitigating poverty. Yeah, interesting. So um, what else are entrepreneurs, what's hindering, what's keeping Coloradoans from being successful with global, you know, business opportunities? I think first and foremost, we have an insular mindset. We are all, you know, just trying to get up in the morning and see how we can sell to California. Um, how do we expand our sales to the East, you know, to New York and, and the populations there. I mean, really, most companies uh, in our state are just domestic, and, and they're absolutely fine with that. So those, especially after COVID, and now we've got some restricting and recession, um, our economy is, we've got we've to think of ways to reboost our economy. Um, companies are going to have to find new markets, and domestic markets aren't going to cut it. They're not going to cut it. So. Um, we are here as an organization to help companies find those new markets, take advantage of them, understand the risks, and we can help with strategies and actual tactics to, um, to take advantage of that market. So that's, I think that's what's so exciting is that um, there is a way out of this, and it is global trade. Is it hard? Yes. Is it a long-term play? Yes. But we are here to help companies kind of understand that, learn the nuances, hold their hand, coach them, 
uh, walk them through the process until they get their sale. So, um, and we're now introducing this global trade activator, which would could do that in, in a matter of just a couple months. So, it's completely worth um, looking at it. Um, and uh, and you know, here's a stat that most people don't realize: ninety-five percent of the population is outside of the U.S. Seventy-five percent of the purchasing power is outside of the U.S. So if you're looking at only a domestic market, you are leaving so much business on the table. Wow. Is um, it in China? Most of it is in China? All over the world. But yeah, China yeah. has a huge economy as big as ours. Uh, some, you know, depending on who you ask, they're bigger than us. So, and then India is short yeah, thereafter, of course, right? But, but everywhere, like Africa, all through Europe. Europe is a massive market. Um, Canada, like even if you start selling to Canada, you've doubled your profit there. You've doubled your market space. So you just have to think about um, ways to enhance your market share. Yeah, do, do you foresee those exporting, like let's take my product for example, information sure. yep. product and um, content product. It's, you mm -hmm. know, for marketing and all that. So would it, would it be more so, let's take my info product for example, to adapt to the languages of other countries or do you foresee over time, China, everyone else, they are in fact going to be adopting the, the global language, English, and, uh, you know, maybe some form of currency that is a global Bitcoin or something like that. You know, this is a strategy that you need to think about. Do you want to localize to your market? Do you really want to capture a large market share in that market? If you do, you're going to want to localize. You're going to want to translate um, your content. You're going to want to have a website that they can read. Um, if you want to capture a different audience that's multilingual, um, then you can take a different strategy and keep it in English. It's just, it really is about who are you tailoring this to? Are you tailoring it to the masses or is it a, an elite multilinguist um, who would be attracted to a US-based, English-based programming? So it's really about strategy and it's about um, how would customers in that market buy your product or partake in it? What's their channel that they use? Do they, um, is it on, like, is it a podcast on, on uh, maybe they have a store of podcasts there and maybe this is the only English one. So is, is, that a, is that an attractive point or is that a deterrent? And you need to have a strategy in that market to see which is going to be most beneficial to, yeah. to gap, capture the most. Every market is probably Every market is different. different. And I think yeah. you can never treat markets the same. You can never say, well, this works in the U.S., so it's got to work in England because they speak English. Like, you have to treat it differently. Most times you have to look at your value proposition in this domestic market and say, how do you translate that? How does it, how is it perceived in this other market? So... So before we wrap up, touch on the um, the refugee program, the immigrant refugee program that that you're uh, in, incorporating, building, doing. Yeah, yeah. Activating. So it's part of our global trade activator, and yeah. we started with the with the group um, that we knew were already very globally minded and um, maybe had trading experience in their home countries, but just haven't traded from the U.S. Uh, so we are working with about thirty five. Uh, companies right now, small entrepreneurs that are immigrant or refugee owned 
businesses. And we're helping them either import or export uh, to or from typically their home markets, but certainly their home continents. So we've, we're working with a lot of Africans, mostly Africans, uh, some Asians, few Europeans, a few um, uh, folks from Latin America. So it's been a very diverse program. And what we do is we basically, um, we customize a solution for each of them. So some of them need certain training, webinars, uh, coaching, and workshops. So we've built those and we've designed those for their needs. The coaching is their trade experts from our network that are leaning in to help uh, with these small businesses and helping them thrive. Um, and then we're also going to help them access talent and capital uh, through the partnerships that we have. And we, we've, like I said, we've trained 35,000 people how to trade. So we have a good talent pool for them to choose from. So uh, what's amazing is the products coming out of these. I mean, it's just something we're so proud of. Um, a gentleman recently, he, he brought in uh, a fruit, jackfruit out of Jamaica. And now he's packaged it. He's selling it in different stores. Um, he's just, he's, He's made very proud of, of what he's accomplished, and that's just the beginning. You know, we've helped, uh, we've helped people send container loads of supplies to their home countries, and they've built stores there where they can sell it, um, and they've hired five or six people to manage those stores. So just think about the, um, the economic gain here locally uh, that they've accomplished due to trade, and now what they can do to make their families back home also prosper. So it's been a fantastic program. We're delighted to, um, to work on that. And it's something that, that uh, we now hope to expand to all businesses from all industries uh, and actually um, help even more companies, whether they're immigrant owned or they're native born um, US, US citizens trying to start their own global trading businesses. So yeah, I think we align very well there. And I think I think most entrepreneurs I know in Colorado, business owners, innovators, um, would agree with that, that we can build commerce like that. But think of helping in um, a, a, a family at need in another country that would not have that income source. Otherwise, mm -hmm. now they're not in starvation. Now they have resources to have water during the day because we're selling jackfruit through the world trade center in that's you know, right. Denver, Colorado. Like, that's I right. think that's phenomenal. I think that's yeah. really cool. Some great, great stories that come out of here. And um, it's just, you know, it inspires us every day to do what we do. Um, trade matters. Trade ma makes us better people. It's um, enhances humanity. Like it's, it's just one of those things that, um, I'm grateful uh, to be part of it. We're, we're, we're seeking more coaches and more members and more clients that um, might need our services. So uh, your help in spreading the word is really um, appreciated because we're, we are um, a nonprofit organization. We're a trade association. We're membership-based, um, but we're a really approachable bunch and we've, we're probably the most connected chamber um, in Colorado because we've got 320 offices in 100 countries. So uh, pretty excited about that network. Yeah, phenomenal. Well, we'll uh, really appreciate you coming and mentoring us through this today. It was really helpful. And uh, anything else that you think would be important to touch on before we wrap up or, or just even, you know, top of mind for you right now? Yeah, I mean, I just want you to know that even if you're not a member of our organization, but you, you have some questions about global business, feel free to call our help desk. Um, 
that number is uh, 833-ASK-WTCD. Um, or you can go to our website at wtcdenver.org because we have a lot of uh, resources and services there. Um, we've got lots of webinars and classes and most of our, most of our content is on, available online now. So um, we're, we're still helping companies reroute supply chains and find new markets throughout COVID and we can help uh, your listeners as well. So we want to help you sell your information business around the world too. So let's, let's talk after this. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, and then how can people follow you? What's a, what platform do you use for the most part? So I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and, um, and you can reach out to me at the World Trade Center. I think my email's right on our website. So um, Karen Gerwitz is my name and that's G-E-R-W-I-T-Z. And I certainly uh, look forward to connecting with all of you. The more connections we make, um, the more global we, we are as an, as, a, as an organization and a community. So the more Denver becomes a global city and everybody recognizes it as that, um, I'm, I can retire then. So, <laughs> yes. Completely agree with you. It, <laughs> when you open your eyes to it, you realize so much how we just, the Coloradoans are one degree removed from anybody else in the world. Mm -hmm. Literally like one connection, one or second degree away from, from anybody. That's the world we live in now. So I'm optimistic about it too, Karen. Right, good. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thanks for your support. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Those of you listening, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, make sure you go follow uh, and uh, check out their website, World Trade Center. And uh, I will see you over on the next one. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Plug Agency Production.